This is The Rabbit Hole with Gary Lyon and Tim Watson for Tire Power. Their buying power puts the power in your lane. Follow us on Twitter at Rabbit Hole SEN. Oh, dear. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to welcome to The Rabbit Hole. It's mm. episode 10. You can find us on Twitter at Rabbit Hole SEN, all one word. Here, thanks to Tire Power, get your free five minutes uh, safety check, which is as important as it ever has been. And, uh, wow. What a week. What a weekend it's been. It's a Wednesday. We're recording this. I'm still coming down. I'm still recovering. What are you like? Tim, <laughs> Look, Watson. If, if Tim I, Watson is the voice you hear. I don't normally do this, but what if I it? repeat myself a number of times this morning, uh, I'm going to apologize Why? in advance because I had um, I had something for dinner. I had lentils oh. for dinner last night and they, it, it, pl- it plays up with my stomach. Don't open a podcast talking about your guts. Well, and your rumblings. I, well, I have, I have gut and the problems. The fact that I've got to get you an air purifier. Well, the thing is, though, like I have these things, and then I know once I've had them, oh, I'm not supposed to have those because it does play um, up with my stomach. So, what, what did you eat? I had some lentil soup. Well, it's the pulses that not not pulsing now. I see it. It's not your gut pulse. It's not my pulse. It's pulses. You know, like why would you have lentils that? are a pulse? Do you know that? Uh, uh, lentils are. Are disgusting. No, they're not disgusting. Say, so, uh, no, I love lentils. Why would you eat lentil soup? Because I like lentil soup. What, what's the base of it? Where'd you get it from? From you make it? No, we got uh, got a nice little place around yeah, the corner. Well, that's why you Park That's belly. why you got a pain in the belly. I don't know where it's come from. It just it just plays with my um, my sister. It's a legume. That's it. It's a pulse, isn't it? It's a, it's a um, yeah, a legume, a pulse, whatever. Barley anyway. is in that category. Anyway. Is it you, good for your digestion? It's not good for your digestion. Well, it's supposed system. to be good for your digestion. Well, that's it? what it is. Activated it. Well, it's, yeah, I've got I've got a little bit of a um, imbalance there that I need to just- you got uh, wind. Well, well, that's one way of putting it, yeah. I've got a little bit of that. And you'll probably see me shifting in my chair well, yeah, occasionally. Well, it's not just from that. I've had a Brazilian butt lift as well, so- <laughs> I'm just, well, the I'm things we talk about, honestly, through the week. Uh, Our I, boss came in before. I know. We got oh, in no, trouble. You actually, got in trouble. I did. Because a butt lift is different to a... Anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> what the, the butt, you asked me about a butt lift. I asked you what a butt lift was. And I said it, was. it's different to a butt insertion. Yeah, but you didn't mean... Well, yes, I know. <laughs> you, can get your lift, you can get your butt lifted. But you said... So you know more about this than I do, and you don't let on until I start talking about something, oh, I, and I then mean, you become. Then I quickly realise that you're an expert in this area because the Kardashians, you said, in the medical, you're, you're, you you're said in two the of Ka- my sweet spots: medicine, medical yes, world, and the Kardashians. That's right. And you said that Kim was it Kim? Well, it's, had had a butt. No, some people say she has. Well, a butt lift or a butt in, what, insertion. You, yeah, but what implant? You, implant, you say. That's it. Don't say insertion. Insertion. But it that's what con- it is. You insert conju- the implant. It conjures up all uh, other things. Only for you, it does. Not for me. <laughs> I know exactly what an insertion is. Okay, so do you put like a silicon? Yes. Right. Like a like, like a, a plumbing silicon. Oh, well, like, like they would for the breastal area, I would imagine. Right. In the backside. On the cheeks. In the cheeks. Yes. Okay, and is that it's called a booty? Is that to sort of give you a better shape backside? Apparently. I don't know anything about this. Well, no, do I? But it right. would. Well, you seem to know a lot more about it than I do. If you stuck an implant into your, your <laughs> I don't need to. No, you've already got one. Because I still can remember the Richmond Cheer Squad yelling out over the fence, number thirty-two. You got a fat ass. <laughs> that was the last kick I had that day. You got no idea how you, distressing that was, well, Gary. You never really played at full forward. <laughs> I did this day. Well, I was in the goal square on my own. If you said it, been a lot of time at full oh. forward. It wasn't a place you wanted to be, was it? Well, you had to develop a thick skin. 
You, did you hear stuff coming over the fence at you as well? Yes, one day. Anything I, stick in your mind? One day I had a very nice haircut. Yeah. Um, very nice, I thought. <laughs> Expensive. And I went down and someone said, hey, Lion, who cut your hair? Your mum with a knife and fork. <laughs> very harsh. Did that upset I to, you? Turned around and went, <laughs> thought it was looking good. <laughs> This was the Richmond cheer squad. I think they might have been close to the worst, actually, around that. Maybe Collingwood would have yeah. rivaled them at the time. But Geelong, in the end, for me, for a period of time, I, I used to get mm. I used to get roundly abused. Mm. This Gary Hamlet king hit me and <laughs> knocked me out. He got abused for it. I got abused for that because <laughs> he got three weeks. I'm going to tell that story on the pod one. Have I told that story? No, I don't think you have. That's a remarkable story. Well, tell it while you're, at the, while you're there. Do you want it now? Yeah, we can park it now, yeah. Okay. Park the story now. So Gary Ablett, it was 1989. Gary yeah. Ablett was the best player in the comp, one off. Mm. And I was having an okay. The best player. Okay, yeah. And we were playing Geelong at the MCG and, the, you know, the build-up was I was going to play on Gary Ablett, right? So there was a uh, bit Hang on, hang on. Can I just pause there for a sec? The build-up was. I'm the t- build-up around the game yeah. was <laughs> guaranteed he was going to play that's a little bit over the top. Not at all. Well, you've been drinking your own bath water. Um, you want so the, you said the Do you want the story up. or not? Yeah, I do want the story, but if I'm okay. I'm going to pick you up at different well, times, well, I think you've okay, gone let me say this. off on the track. The Brownlow medal favourite at the time was you right. and me. Okay, now I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> this is 1989. We were, but we were co-favourites. We were, we were, I remember. And anyway, and Gary, okay. was, he was the best player. So yep. anyway, so he goes and lines up on the half-foot flank and I lined up on him, yep. Okay. And the game, it was in the, is it the MCG where the mud was, you know, that, oh, that deep. Was that when there was no grass left None. on it? Yeah, rolled that, that, mud. Year, that year was rolled mud, yeah. It's rolled yeah. mud. So the game's unfolding and I don't know, I can't really remember. We were going okay and so we went out onto the, and we were playing state footy together. So I knew Gary and yeah. that. So I've gone out to the wing. I wasn't, you know, they tried to make out I was belting into him, which I wouldn't do. I, I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't do it to him because no. I have no impact on him. I had my arm across him, whatever. And I remember getting a bit of a back of the head, you know, hitting the back of the head, right? I, th- I turned around and I just gave him a really good shove back. And then I turned back around to watch the ball get thrown in. That's it. That's the last thing you remember? Yes. So it turns out, and, and Gary ended up admitting this, he, he, King hit me from behind, mm. opened my chin, you got a yeah, big scar yeah, there. big scar. And I ended up face down in the mud, right. knock, knocked out. Mm. I remember coming to going, geez, what happened? And I turned around. So that was on the, which is now the worn side of the stand. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and at the old race where Melbourne used to run out, there's, there's a big punch on going on. Mm. So I'm, I sort of got myself dusted off. I, I didn't know where I was. And Rod Grinter and the boys saw it and chased Gary Ablett and, and were belting into him. And then the fight started, right? So the game finishes, and well, I think we lost. I I played the game out, have no great recollection. So they put you back out there. I didn't go off. Oh, you didn't go off. No. And, and you so knocked. You were knocked out. Out cold. Right. And as I'm walking off the ground, I remember that game. You, you had a. You might have played one of your better games that day. No, I didn't. you got no recollection of it. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't play. I played terrible. And as I'm walking off the ground, mm. sort of half in a daydream, Gary Abbott comes up and puts his arm around me. Like this, and says, Gaza, he said this, I'm so sorry. I am really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Mm. Right. And I just mumbled something and walked off. Front page of the paper the next day was him with his arm around my shoulder with a big headline saying, Who KO? And, you know, in the other photo was me flat, flat, right. 
you know, drowning in the mud. And the headline was, who KO'd Gary, right? With Gary Ablett with his arm around me. <laughs> so that goes off. Did he ask for forgiveness? Um, well, that will, it will, I'll get to that, okay. right? I'm working at the AFL at this stage. So on the Monday, I go in to do the footy clinics or whatever. And Kevin Sheen says, listen, I think I've forgotten his name. He goes, the AFL investigator is here. He wants to talk to you. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, what? He goes, well, what happened on the weekend? I said, right, so I get called into the. He goes, right, you know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of news going on about this. You're in the paper. You're you're knocked out. Now what happened? And I go, I don't know. I got no idea what happened. Like I knew, obviously. You've been told, yeah. But I said, I don't know what happened. I, I was there. I don't know. Right. So he, he goes, you sure? You know, he's looking at me. I said, no. I said, I got no idea. He walks off. And they do their investigation, no case. So there's no case because I didn't say anything. No, right. No, yeah, but that was back in So the no one at the ground there's saw no, 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 no video evidence. Well, of there was none brought forward and no one's dobbing on anyone because that's what happened back in those days. Mm. So the guy goes back to the AFL, he says, oh, yep, done my investigation, no case to answer. Fred Buller, who's a great friend of my dad's, best mates they were, he mm. was the footy sort of director down there. And Gary Abbott comes into the... Um, Bill, I think Bill Gannon was it, uh, Ken Gannon. Ken Gannon, yeah. Goes in, knocks on the door, and the next day, and and Ken says, "Oh, Gary, yeah, good to see you. So just let you know that they've done the finished the investigation, mm. and you're clear to play. You know, no problem. I want to confess." Gary, <laughs> Gary says, "I want to confess." And Ken says, "No, no, I don't think you understood, Gary. No. I've done the investigation. You know, Gary Lyon didn't mm. know what had happened. There's no evidence. You're free to play." I want to confess God because he had mm. found God. He said, God mm. spoke to me last night and mm. I need to confess. <laughs> they, they spent, they spent an hour trying to say, you don't really want to confess. No. We'll deal with it. And, and anyway, he was that insistent. So they drove down. He said, no, nope, I, I did it. So they go, oh, all right, we'll have to have a hearing. So then on the Wednesday or whatever, <laughs> in we go, <laughs> they go, where was it? Where was the hearing at yeah, VFL House? Old AFL House. AFL House, House yeah. down Jollymont. Yep. Walked in. Um, they said, "What happened?" I said, "I don't know." And then Gary said, "Yeah, well, I hit him." <laughs> and they said, "Okay." And he came over and shook my hand and apologised. He said, "I, yeah, God told me to apologise and not, that I shouldn't have done it." And we, I said, "Okay, no worries." So we go back in and they go, "Right, oh, Gary, you got three weeks." <laughs> that was it. That's how it all unfolded. <laughs> I can't believe that. Is that an amazing story? That is extraordinary. Yeah. And Geelong ago. So th did Melbourne, what, what, what was Melbourne's reaction? Well, we did they want to shut it down too? Did they want it to? No. The Melbourne reaction was, um, th that was up to me. I think I was the only Melbourne person who was interviewed in the whole process. And it was what happened. And you go, I don't know what happened. I didn't see anything. And so he just apologised to you that night, shook your hand, and away he went. Yeah, got three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Off he went. <laughs> That's a funny story. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I There's lots of elements to that. A, I got knocked out cold for yeah, probably 30 seconds. And they didn't even take you off the ground. off the ground. And B, there's no like video evidence or anything like that. Was that game, there wasn't many games televised Back then, was it back in 1989? They would, it was sort of starting to change. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it wouldn't have been. There would have been. Somebody would have some had. vision. You would have thought there would have been some vision. I mean, you would have thought that somebody might have come forward and said, I, I can't imagine that Melbourne weren't. No, no. I can't imagine Melbourne weren't outraged no, about what took place. No, no, they weren't outraged. I think, and I'm not saying I was being 
a hero, but that was what we did in the days. You, mm. you get belted and you say, ah, oh, I don't really want it. And, I, I, and you I, try and protect each yes, other. Yes, and I hadn't seen what happened. Yeah. And I can't remember, I remember my dad, this is, this is, and so dad and I had a very serious conversation after this. The Herald or one of the other mm. papers rang my dad and said, if got his number and said, oh, what do you think about this? And he goes, oh, he's playing it down, playing yeah. it down. And they kept questioning, yeah. right? And then they must have said, oh, well, you know, a player could get killed if yeah. they get hit like that. And Dad must have gone, well, you know, they probably could at some, you know, if, yep. if they got him. Next time, Lion's dad said he could have been killed. <laughs> I'm going, no, what are you talking Pange. about, Pange? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lesson. Back, there's back a lesson. in the day, I went, um, we played St Kilda once uh, many years ago, and it was a famous game because a lot of players, there was a lot of uh, reports out. I think there might have been five reports came out of the game. It was a, it was a rough game. Terry Kale got knocked out, and our president back in the day was a guy by the name of Colin Stubbs. And then um, he labelled them a pack of animals. Like this, this is what he said: they are a pack of animals. Some killed it, right? Hide, so the next day was the Sunday Observer uh, newspaper. They are a pack of animals. Like we got sued, or he got sued. The club oh, got really? sued over that. But anyway, we went to the tribunal. There was about five players. Gary Colling got reported for hitting me and um, the cat. The cat. So back in the day at VFL House, the yeah, tribunal was in, was, in, was in a room, right? How it happened. Everybody would turn up around the same time. Yeah. So the hearing was to be at seven o'clock, but you didn't know which order it was going to be. So everybody had to be there. So you'd roll in at the same time. So you had all the St Kilda players there. You yeah. had all the SM players there. And there was a players advocate who dealt with everybody. Like there's one players advocate yeah. who worked both sides of the Finger Finger. Yeah. Well, I don't know that it was him back in those days. Well, he, it became, been, he became the main man. He might've been around, he might've been around the mark there somewhere, but so all the players would get together. We we're all sitting opposite each other. So the chairs were down one side of the hallway, down the other side of the hallway. So you're just facing off That's there right. before you went in That's right. to talk about your case. So, Everybody was sorting out their yeah. stories what before. Say? What are you going to say? <laughs> what are you going to say? That's right. I'll say this if you say that, yeah. and you know, horse trading. We'll try and you know, we'll try and help each other. We know. Out. Look, we know Colling's in a bit of trouble, but if Watson looks after Colling, well, when uh, Mark Harvey goes up for whacking uh, whoever, we'll we'll look after you the other way. That's how it worked. And that's how. That's it how worked. it worked until, and you'll know the famous one. What happened? Uh, Wayne Johnson and. David Polkinghorne. That's right. Who was a Hawthorne halfback flanker. And he broke the player's code at the time. The, broke the code. <laughs> the fact that I knew that and Tim knew that without even collaborating <laughs> is how famous it was. And so David Polkinghorne went in and said, yeah, you hit me. You hit me. <laughs> what? <laughs> the whole joint nearly <laughs> fell down. <laughs> but then it was, then it became, it, did, it didn't open the floodgates for players dobbing each other because no. David Polkinghorne still wears and carries that badge today as the bloke that broke the code. That's right. And Neil Busy was the chairman oh, yeah. of the tribunal at that time. I remember when I uh, went up there. How many I, times did you get reported? I got reported twice. I went up there for whacking. Um, big couple of big fellas? Couple of, yeah, big guys. Well, somebody had to take them on, Gary. Who was, who was it? Greg Healy <laughs> and uh, Luba. Oh, two rovers. I got off both times. Did you hit them? No, well, I I did, but not. It wasn't like they weren't deliberate hits. It was just that they were. They Wait, were so shorter. you did or you didn't? No, they were. It was just the size of them. It was like a Caminiti style. Yeah, it was a reflex sort of. I went to spoil Greg Healy. It was sort of like a round arm right. and connected a little bit high. And well, I've had a look at the um, Liberatore, to... so don't, I, I can. Okay, I can tell you exactly. My <laughs> recollection of it is. Mm -hmm that I had the ball, 
He went to tackle me. I lifted my arm to fend him off, yep. and it got a little bit. It got him a little bit high. Right. Well, my, does that sound right or my not? My viewing of it is as off the ball behind the play. He was nowhere near the football. <laughs> All I remember that that is Danny Southern. Um, he put you on your backside too. I thought he was going to put me in one of those sleeper holes. He went down pretty quick. I did. Danny Southern got I a hold did. of you. So I got reported. I went up to the tribunal. Neil Busy was the tribunal chairman, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, I thought. I'll get on the front foot here. Yep. I went up to him. I said, are you busy? He said, yes. I said, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> well, Doug, did, Dougie, Dougie has stolen that. I, I went with that well, line he's on. He's busy. I went, on, I went with that line on the footy show one night, and then I was doing a sporty with him and Oscar Wilde. <laughs> oh, Remember cl- Oscar? Classy. Yeah. Did, you, did you ever do a yes. sporty? Yes, he came uh, and did one at the Melbourne Footy Club one day. Boy, jingos. When people say that people work blue, he, he worked navy blue into black. Almost you know, purpley tinge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sitting there and Doug's doing his shtick and I'm about to get up and do mine mm-hmm. after him. Yeah. And he's gone with the, he oh, you bu- <laughs> you're busy. Oh, no. There's a touch of Simon Madden about that. Well, that didn't stop you, though, because you still, you use the liver. You, you always use liver as one of the sources of your great zingers. When? Evan, listen to this coverage of a game that you and Drew, the late, great Drew Morfitt, were doing when the Western Bulldogs were involved. Antonio Liberatore, their rover, and uh, also a new father. I'll be interested to see how Libba goes today because he flew up with us this morning. His wife gave birth last night, and that's terrific for Libba, and he's had a grin from ear to ear, number one son. <laughs> yes, uh, number one son, Thomas Francis. And uh, at birth, he was about one centimetre taller than Tony Liberatore, I think, uh, Drew. <laughs> Oh, not a, not a great delivery, the, but the sentiment was there. <laughs> Drew and Drew played his part. He laughed on cue. Did he? And that's uh, the uh, Tom Libertura who played his two hundredth game on the weekend. So there's the full circle. That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That old Tommy. So that's how old I am. Crikey. Nicely done. I was there on the day that he was born back in nineteen ninety two. What I've was been, I doing in nineteen ninety two? I had a year off. I had a year off. That's was right. Was it in between? Yeah, I got reported. Uh, who who did you get reported for hitting? No. <laughs> what do you mean you you didn't hit anyone? I've had two. I got reported twice for abusive <laughs> abusing an umpire. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> abusing teammates or no, abusing, umpires. Oh, umpires. And uh, not committeemen. Once for um, I hit once I hit Barry Young <laughs> with a jumper punch. Right. And got one. He would have deserved it. I got a week for that. He was a bit lippy. He would have deserved it. And actually, I got, I got reported for tripping once. Right. And got off. And what, was that on a, pl- was on a player's trip? or <laughs> represented myself. They reckon I'd kick my, I threw, my, threw, my leg out to, right. threw my leg out to trip someone. But it was a counterbalance. Right. When you go that way, yes. your leg comes out. Yeah, of course it does. So, uh, so just, just getting back to the um, abusive language. Oh, would, uh, no, I'm not proud of that. No, I know you're not proud of it, but. A particular umpire that you're targeted. <laughs> my old man, Chris Mitchell, he's a, lo- he's a lovely bloke. No, he was one of my favourite umpires. That, that was early in my career where I was I just, uncontrollable. Yeah, not had no great respect for them. Which I wasn't is go- appalling by me. I wasn't going to go down this track, but now that you've brought that up, it reminds me of the fact of something that started to um, it started to develop very early in your in, creep in, yeah, creep in very early in your upbringing because your mum Bev had to take you off the tennis court for well, similar action, didn't she? When no, you were about eight years of age, a, that wasn't abusing an umpire. Yeah, but you were abusive, weren't you? Racket abuse. Yeah, that, well, it's the same thing. <laughs> same thing. It's the same thing. It's like an uncontrollable urge. It stopped the uh, flourishing 
tennis career and its tracks. So, so what sort of counselling did you get after that? None. I went off and played cricket. I can't Took imagine. seven for 24 my I, first ever game. I can't imagine. <laughs> you, your mum marched onto the tennis court, grabbed you by the ear and reefed you off the court. Yep. <laughs> you never spell, young fella. You throw your racket once more, you're coming off. Okay, so no more tennis. And the John Newcomb went, <laughs> off. <laughs> so I went and played cricket. And, and? it's a true story. Hand mm. on my heart. Yeah. 10 years of age, I used to go and go to the under-16s, Kyber and Cricket yep. Nets, mm. and just dag around hoping to have a bowl or a hit. I was only 10, right? Yeah. I was playing cricket tennis at this stage. Anyway, it was the last game of the year, and the bike, the cricket, I'd been hanging around that long. The guy said, do you want to, do you want to actually play this week? Right. So I went back to mum and said, can I play cricket? And she said, oh, no, well, she let me, right? So yeah. when you're 10, you're tiny, and the 16-year-old kids, we went out to stand up this cricket club, and all I did was just run from one end of the, you know, the fine leg to fine leg. I had to get these cricket pants made. I remember mum had to take them up because I was that, you know, I needed the white pants. <laughs> anyway, stand up were none for 140 or something, right? Every single bloke in the whole team had had a bowl for the Kyabram Cricket Club. And the bloke, anyway... They must have been going bad. The guy go here, you bowl, right? I, I didn't know how to hold the ball. I didn't know how to swing. I didn't know anything. I said, right, oh, I'll oh you'll bowl. make it up. Seven for 24. <laughs> Off six overs. <laughs> Seven for 24. Bowling right. like lollipop shockers, and they just kept going out, out, out. And you know what? <laughs> they wanted me for the first final. <laughs> but Bev made me go back and play tennis. <laughs> Serious question. That's a true story, Yeah, I, I don't doubt that for a minute. But I'm going to bring the clip Serious, in. serious question. <laughs> I'll bring the is clip. there something that you haven't been a natural at? Yes. Is there something you've yeah. tried I as a kid I know that you haven't been a I natural knew at? people listening to this would go, you wanker, Gary. I, it, I'm not making out like that. I did, it was just unbelievable. I wasn't a great bowler. I was a little kid bowling basically underarm, and I just got him out. No, no, but I've established over the years having worked with you, natural swimmer, you said that you could have been part yes. of the 4x4, no, uh, four four. natural rower, you could have been part no, of Lawson No, Lawson. not a rower. Tennis player, yes. cricketer. Yes. You say you pick up a golf stick and no, it was bit, like no. you were born with it in no, your hand. No, that's not true. AFL football. Okay. Ice skating. We wanted I to get see. Wayne Gretzky on. You said, Wisp, don't get Wayne Gretzky. You can talk to <laughs> no, me about ice I skating. I can skate, but no. Skiing. Not very good. Surfing. You said that you can no, surf. Once I surf. <laughs> you've, left one, you've left one thing out. Hang on. What have I left out? Motor racing. <laughs> oh, yes. Third. Podium. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, all right, let's just take a little break here while we re-establish, while we regather ourselves. You're listening to The Rabbit Hole for tyre power. Get your free five-minute tyre safety check. So many rabbit holes to go down, just choosing the right one. We weren't going to go down the Gary Ablett rabbit hole. It no, just, I enjoyed it, though. Just opened up, didn't it? I enjoyed it. Barry Humphreys, as I was doing the, as we were doing the yes. breakfast show this morning, uh, news came through that he was seriously ill. Um, yes, um, great friend of Dame Edna Everages. Yes, uh, have one you of had the, any iconic Australian talent too on the world stage? She and Barry, Barry are as big a name as you could have, and as funny as I think as funny as any Australian would probably ever produce. But it just reminded me of a thing that I did once at the Meyer Hall. I think it was called the Mirrors Hall or... The Murals, Mural Hall. No, I think it's the Meyer... It's not the Mirror Hall. Meyer Mirror Hall. Never it, heard of it. The Meyer Mural or the Mirror <laughs> Hall. I don't know what it was, right? But I was asked to, I was asked to co-host. I was asked to co-host. Co-host? Yes. It was, a, it was a paying gig um, with Deborah Hutton. How long ago? 
A long time ago. Oh. A long, long time ago. I can't remember exactly It's a pretty when. formidable duo. I'd go and watch that. <laughs> Watson and Hutton. Well, you wouldn't have been able to because it was standing room only. <laughs> and it was, I think, I'm pretty sure it was the launch of uh, Barry Humphrey's book or Dame Edna. Anyway, so I get there at the designated time and meet Deborah for the first time. It was a lovely lady. Very friendly, happy, chatty, lovely. that type of thing. And then Barry Humphreys came in. So we're sort of like in the green room. Did Barry come in as Barry? Well, hang on. Let me get to this. Let me get to this because you're jumping ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Put me me back in my box. (laughs) You're jumping ahead. (laughs) So Barry turned up, who was a very nice, you know, polite sort of a man. And spoke uh, very articulately and yeah, but but friendly enough and wanted to know what was going on and that type of thing. Anyway, so. Do you know who you were? Well, I introduced myself. Yeah, but, but do you know who the Wisp was Essendon uh, AFL well, royalty or not? Well, no, but what we did had... you say? I'm, I'm the Wisp. Well, mate. I said, look, we've got a Mooney Ponds connection. I lived there and he'd always spoken about Mooney Ponds and that type of thing, he which said, he, he, he thought that was sort of go, a little bit funny. Well, so what? You live there? And then did you say, but I'm also an AFL star? No, I didn't say that. I said I lived off Puckle Street. He knew Puckle Street, Mooney Ponds. Right. and so you know, we, I felt like... Connection. This is what I do when I meet people, Gary. I don't know whether you do that, but you try and search around for a connection, yep. you know, something that both people can yep. um, understand yep. and uh, maybe, you know, joins you in some way. So we're just talking about this anyway. We are there for a little while and how this was going to play out and, uh, you know, da, da, da. So he disappears, right? And then I'm just there with Deborah and the organiser of the lunch. And Deborah you know, knew who you were? Uh, well, I explained. What was that connection you got with her? Um, I said, look, you know, Hutton's Hutton footy, Hutton footy Franks are part <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Go on. <laughs> we both saw that at the same time. Um, yeah, so I was talking about the Footy Franks and that type yep. of thing. And then Barry Humphreys came back into the room. But this time he's dressed up as Dame Edna, right? So – I don't know. <laughs> this was my dilemma. Yeah, I, I don't know so. if I reintroduce. Yeah, I don't know if I reintroduce myself. Or <laughs> I talk to him as Barry. That's it. But what'd you do? Well, he's talking as Dame Edna. Right. So he doesn't have the Barry Humphreys voice on anymore. So Dame Edna so never said, met you. That's right. right. So I thought I need to reintroduce myself. I well, didn't do the Puckle Street thing again. Did I you? did the whole <laughs> thing again. And then he said, I or know. she said, I already know that. In the Dame Edna voice, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know Dame, that. You told me that story <laughs> 10 minutes ago, you dickhead. <laughs> she said, Do you think I've got dementia? <laughs> that is very funny. <laughs> So, um, oh, you're at this confused, stage, I'm, I am thrown by unbelief. <laughs> I don't know if I'm talking to Barry or Dame or Footy Frank Deborah. Yeah, oh, anyway, that's so, got the makings of a good lunch. Well, it has and has, and he was great. He got up there, and I thought we got on famously. And so I grabbed a book at the end of it all, oh. and I said, "Look, he's still he is still she." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so she, I said, Dame Edna. Would you mind signing the book? You know, we spent the whole afternoon yeah. together. He said, who are you? <laughs> and she wrote, Jim, it's been a great... <laughs> Jim, it's been a great afternoon. <laughs> 
Anyway, that's my Barry Humphrey story. That, that's your best. That's one of your best. Yeah. <laughs> it was anyway, enjoyable. He's it done well. In... Will you be calling on him? Huh? Him? Um, well, no, I don't. I don't know him that well. But uh, what no. a mighty, what a mighty oh, talent he was. That is a pickle. Oh, he is. That's a pickle of a story. Isn't <laughs> that's it? when you do find yourself if, in a pickle. If you said to him, <laughs> "Oh, yeah, listen." Yeah, what about that? And he said, oh, I love you. You're a good footy player, Tim. Yeah, I was. Yep, yep, we, yeah, right. I'll be back in a moment. And then she came back. Do you pick up where you left off? Oh, do you watch me play against Hawthorne? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I was entitled to think <laughs> that <laughs> I was talking to the same person. I know. Well, maybe I wasn't. That's and a hard, I, oh. that's very hard. So in the end, what was the wash-up? Did you? Well, the wash-up was... She did. She say? Did she? She act as if she'd never met you. Yes. Oh, well, she'd have to, wouldn't she? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Her brother was my librarian. If I can insert myself into your very funny story Her... at Melbourne High School. No, his mother. His brother. Barry Humphrey's brother was your librarian at Melbourne High School. At Melbourne High. That's the best. What I was think. his name? I don't know. <laughs> Not sure, but it was. A, I just wanted to jump in on what was a very good story. <laughs> I can have a little, I just wanted a little piece of that, yeah, right? Yeah, no, you can have a little piece of that story. <laughs> Tell me about J.R. Smith. Well, J.R. Smith is a former NBA player. This is sort of more of a serious conversation, okay? But I just want to play you this because it, it struck a chord with me listening to him. He's talking on the podcast, Three uh, Old Man and a Three, which is Jay, Jay Reddick, mm-hmm. who played NBA basketball too. Very mm-hmm. good uh, media performer. Great podcast. Anyway, they're talking uh, about J.R. Smith – and the time that he was in the NBA, and then what he learnt post-NBA career. Just have a listen. I just want to know whether or not this may resonate with you. I was watching him going back and forth to his computer and whatnot, and I'm like, Ray, what are you doing? He's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my master's. I'm about to get my master's in a couple of months. I'm like, your master's? Like, first of all, your Jesus shuttles work. Like, what do you need a master's for? You can, get, you can walk in anywhere you want to, and people are going to take you serious. People are going to, like, just, he's like, no, it's not about them taking me serious. It's about me taking me serious. You know, continuously elevating myself to be the best well-rounded individual I can be. And I always thought about that from an athletic standpoint. I always thought about from a basketball player, oh, I want to get my handles better. I want to be able to shoot off the dribble better, going left, going right. And I would work at that so much in the summertime and stuff like that, but I wouldn't work on anything else. Like, I wouldn't work on being a better friend or being a better son or being a better uh, dad or being a better boyfriend or, or husband at the time. Like, I didn't work on anything else other than basketball because I felt I only looked at myself as a basketball player. It's, you're listening to that yeah. and you're thinking, you know what, maybe not to the same degree, but when we play sport and we play elite sport, so much, it's a selfish pursuit, isn't it? Yep. All the time you're thinking about self because you've got to get better or you've got another game to play or mm. you've got an injury to get over or how can I improve myself? And then... I was interested in listening to him talk about that yesterday mm. about because he went back to school. Like, he made a lot of money. Um, he was a successful player. The guy that he was talking about, too, was a legend, uh, Ray Allen, that he was talking about. But, you know, here's Ray, sort of one of those veteran guys who's taught him, hang on a minute, like, you you might have all, you know, you might have fame and you may have wealth and adulation, all that type of thing, but uh, you haven't been working on yourself. Yeah. So the, the realisation comes, I would think, to most players. It's just when it comes. At some point. Yeah. And, and, and the really good ones, I think, are capable of, of uh, you know, being educated to the point that you've got this opportunity, not just in football, but in life. And then you've got these resources around you because of who you are and the football club and who they are mm. that you can take advantage of. For the vast majority, myself included, it was, no, what's that mean? And then you let mm. that go. And then as 
for me, it happened late. Like, it, like I was just absorbed in footy. Same. I was so I just wanted to be the yeah, you know, I wanted to be the best. I wanted our club to be the best. You're then the captain, so you're involved with all of that, and your own personal development takes a bit of a backward step, and, and that's in relationships as well. Like it, you mm. go back and you look at it, how selfish were we in terms of fatherhood and, and husbands and all that sort of stuff. But then the very best, and there would be examples of this at AFL level right now, who are so switched on that they immerse themselves in their football careers at the same time as taking advantage of everything that's at their fingertips while they're getting paid great money to play this. Ollie Wines is a great chap. Ollie Wines is one of these ones who you can go down this path with. What's he doing? He's just rounded, you know. He's a pilot. He's got his pilot's right. licence and, you know, being prepared to just push the boundary a little bit and do something else. And Matty DeBoer was one that, you know, he's a really successful venture capitalist now who starts business, you know, invests in business. Mm. There's a whole depth of them, and I, I and listen to that guy talk then, and you go, gee, I hope our, hope our players are coming. And you know, Nick Dacos mm. right now has got the world at his feet. I mean, he's at the very sharp end, probably a bad example, but there are other blokes that are starting out in their footy careers right now who may not be at the Nick Dacos level, who can be as wildly successful as him without having the footy career he has. And you can be institutionalised by the sport, though, too, can't you? Yeah. And so much of your life is controlled. Of Planned out for you, mapped out for you. Mm. You've got to be here on a certain time. You've got to be here on a certain date. You've got people coming at you and wanting to do things for you. And it can lull you into a feeling. And I don't know that you, I don't know that you do this deliberately, but there's an entitlement that's associated with you playing an elite sport like AFL football. And it's not until you step outside that bubble and mm. you experience life as it really is. Yeah. And, you know, for some, and I think that's one of the more challenging things. You know, you talk about post-AFL career welfare and that type of thing. And you and I bump into people all the time. And, mm. you know, some have adjusted really well and easily and, you know, seamlessly have gone into other things outside their AFL career. Yeah. But we still sometimes bump into people who are still struggling. Yeah. And it might be years, like decades after they finish playing. <laughs> It's a really, it's a great topic. But it's even those, and even amongst those that ha, you would perceive to have got out of it really well, you could still talk to them and say, well, I still feel institutionalised to a degree because I've gone from one thing mm. to one other. Mm. Now, it might be successful, but in the process, I haven't been able to do this. I haven't been able to explore this area of life or I haven't been able to travel or mm. I haven't been able to, you know, whatever it is. And they're the people I admire. And the, Jim Steins is the greatest example I can put up. The, he, there is a guy. So part of being good, I think, is listening and, and following instruction and saying these are our rules and this is what you do. And I was very much the letter of that. I, I buy into the coach. I'm with you, mm. coach, all the way. And there's your doctor. I'm with you, doctor. I'll do what you tell me. He was... Mm, yeah, maybe there's, yeah, okay, I'll listen. But then he would go off and do his own exploring and challenging. I probably didn't challenge enough. I was more accepting. And mm. and now it's the fine line. Now it's the young blokes who just challenge everything. And you go, hang on, you've you got to be more yeah, trust in your coach, trust in this. Whereas back in our day, I think it was more, okay, there's one lot of mm. one way of doing it, but there's others. And Jimmy was the best. He was the best at doing all that. He go, yeah, okay, that's I understand what you're saying, but there could be another way. Where do you reckon that came from, though? With him? Well, it didn't have the traditional. You know, he wasn't a slave. Like all I ever wanted to do was 
do what I, you know, play footy. Yeah. And to do that, I'd do whatever it took. If you told me he's going to stand in the corner for an hour every day, go and do it. He didn't have any of that growing up. He was doing what he wanted over in Ireland. He didn't have a, a safety net of a professional footy career under his belt, you know, sitting there beside him. So he was off doing all sorts. And then his mind goes everywhere, you know, and that's why he became so successful. Reach, you know, um, 244 games in succession. Don't do that unless you're prepared to challenge. So I love that chap. I love that bit of audio. You start talking about uh, the great late Jimmy Steins there. You and he connected, obviously, as Melbourne players. And then when you coached Australia for yes, in the Irish same. series. Big series. <laughs> um, was there something technically and tactically you were you employed over there in, in, in Ireland when you were coaching the Where Australian Where are you team? going with this? I can go wherever you want to go with this. But I want to play this <laughs> in answer to your question. Thinking. This is some of the commentary. I think there must might be Eddie Maguire might have been calling the international series game between Australia and Ireland. Have mm. a listen to this. Three points, Australia. There's a dog on the ground. It's got everything. There's a dog out on the ground as well. Can you believe this? Wow, Marty. What else is going to happen here today? Well, I'm not too sure. All we need is a streaker. will be right. Oh, look at the dog dashing along. Moving I think the dog must be from Ireland because he's chasing an Australian footballer. He's run out the bite, Nick Del Santo. <laughs> Eddie underplaying the excitement. <laughs> hey, it was a massive moment. They couldn't get it off either. What well, did 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 you organise the dog to get out there? Had to slow it down. They were on a bit of a charge, so we let the dog loose. <laughs> no, I don't know. That was the funniest thing. The dog came on, mm. and they couldn't get it off. <laughs> and we, were, I think, we were getting smacked at the time, and um, it was just running crazy around the field. Uh, we'll put some vision up with this and have a look at it. And no one could catch it, and it was probably our best player. <laughs> and Eddie, what about Eddie? He was a great. He asked the question of the Irish bloke, and then answered it and kept going. <laughs> that reminds me of the story of my my brother-in-law. He was playing for Bo Morris uh, in in the local competition, and uh, an Alsatian dog ran onto the field, and they couldn't get off. It was just running around, and it was enjoying the fact that everyone was trying to chase it, running. And some bloke yelled out. Leave the dog on. Take Scanlon off. Ah, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> there it is. Right, now, let's get into our farm segment, please. It's time to talk farming for Kubota. For over 40 years, Kubota's been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. Thanks to Kubota, our great supporters of what's now become an integral part of the podcast, The Farming Report, where... Rural Australians are tuning in. I beat. I got that tree. Remember, I told you that big tree fell down. Yes. And it was. It had blocked my path where I drive the buggy around. Yep. It took me two weeks to to cut it and move it. Like it was a. That's a big job. It was a massive tree. That's a big job. Did somebody give you a hand? No. Didn't on my own, and have, I finally beat it on Sunday. You've got. Have you got a? Yes, you've got a dam on your property, haven't you? Yes, I a have. Big, it's a big dam. Nice dam. Yep. It doesn't leak or. Did no, you actually did that, you build is, it? Actually, it's a good question you ask. This is a focus of our farming segment. Did is, you put a lining in it? No, it was there and I bought it. Right, okay. It's about, uh, it's a big dam. It's about four metres deep. Like, it's really deep. Yep. And how, probably there 40 metres long by 20. Right. Have you swum in it? Do you yeah, swim in it? I've yeah. swum in it. Yeah. And? Beautiful. No, what stroke? Bat stroke? <laughs> yeah, because you built it, Dan. Yes, it's still leaking. It's still leaking. You know, it's not still leaking. It's still leaking. 
Well, this is the farm segment. Yeah, Tell I know. I've tried everything. If let's somebody... alert people to the fact that you've had a dam for 30 or 40 years at your property. And it's still leaking. Tried how, everything. Tried everything. What, does it leak and it empties leaks out? water, yeah. It empties out? No, it doesn't empty out. It gets down. It leaks down to where... The hole is. Wherever the hole is. Well, it's a big is. abbey hole. Well, I don't know if it is. I don't think it is. It's just rock and things that were there when they built the dam. But Jack who was the dam builder, uh, he came out many, many times trying to – he had put this thing called betonite in, which is supposed to sort of seal it, and that didn't work. My dad told me about a thing they used to do up in the country is they used to sometimes put sawdust in, and the sawdust would find the hole, and then it would expand. Congeal sort of probably is right. Yeah, long time in Lindy there. And then it would lock, what? Would lock in. Put water in sawdust into the water. Sawdust. They used to tip sawdust into the dam, and then when you know, because the water is trying to find its way out, it would gather the sawdust. Oh, yeah. It would get to where the it was like a plug. Like a yeah, exactly like a sawdust plug. It's yeah. a big hole you have. Well, it, we have got a big hole. In How the couldn't dam. you fix that? I haven't been able to fix it. Hasn't has nothing has worked. And spent a lot of money on trying to fix it. So you've never been out to have a full dam? Never been. Well, it filled up when we had the big rains of last year, but only for sort of like 24 hours. How far down does it go? Uh, A fair way. Yeah, fair way. Must be frustrating. Very frustrating. It's just one of the frustrations of being a landowner. For our farm, uh, farm, our listeners, our Uh, farmers. Don't get Jack to build your dam. (laughs) 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 Just on that, did you put anything in your dam? Because this is where I'm at. This is what I want to the. No. Today. I want to know. I've got no. a very nice dam. It doesn't, it's not all the um, water from the overflow from our property and the shed. Yep. Once it's filled up, the water tanks will then go down to the dam. Yes. What can I put in? What should I put in? What can I put in that's going to exist? And yeah, should be. I drop a couple of tyres in there, like big tractor tyres? Well, for the fish to hide, yes, you should. But um, yabbies, have you got yabbies? No. Y- you know, you don't need to put. Yabbies find their way to the dam. Well, they haven't found mine. Well, because what happens is they they can walk very slowly across the paddock and find the water. Very slowly. Well, very slowly. Or birds pick up. Um, this will be good. They, they, they pick up. Get, wait, get ready for this. Here we go. <laughs> birds what? You're going to think you're talking to David Attenborough now. Birds what? They pick up parts of the yabby. A part, like a broken claw? Like the egg or whatever of a yabby, and then they can drop them into the dam, and then they multiply, and that's how you end up with yabbies in your dam. Right, you do, the bird drops a claw and it turns into a yabby. Y- well, not a claw. I said more of an egg. You they said may a part. Pick, or they may pick up a yabby. You said a part of a yabby. A part of a yabby or a full yabby or an egg of a yabby, and then it ends up in your dam, and then it starts to multiply, and that's and when you end up with yabbies in your dam. can't multiply on its own. Well, you don't know that. I'm thinking of putting. You don't in, know the mating habits of a yabby. I'm not sure what. To, I don't know what. Maybe we can put a call out to because uh, all the farmers have been listening to this segment. Yeah. What should what will go best in my dam? Right. I'm going to put some yabbies in. Like I'm a, I'm an experienced yabbier from way way back. Yeah, I know. I've heard you talk about that. So I'll put yabbies in, but I'm wondering whether I need to put a few little fish fish. What are they called? Fishlings. Little fishlings. Yeah. Mm. But be if you've got a lot of birds around, you do need to have like you know some concrete. Um, concrete. Yeah, concrete. Build them a pool. No, like concrete pile, uh, pipes and things like that deep in the tree? in the water to stop the birds because they'll so, dive bomb into your dam and then they'll rip the the fish out. Oh, that's good advice. So there it is. Good advice. Farming segment. Thanks to Kubota. Together we're shaping and building. Do you think anyone Australia. will believe that Yabby story I just? <laughs> <told>? <laughs> 
quick fire rabbit holes for TJM. Handle anything with XGS premium suspension by TJM. Visit your local TJM store for a free quote today. Well, it's been an informative uh, rabbit hole today. Um, the, the rabbit hole that we went down over the weekend in Adelaide was big. It had burrows going everywhere. Mm. And in the end, it was successful. Some big fat bunnies emerged. They did. Including um, Gil and Peter Malinowskis. They become besties. Uh, it was great. It mm. really was. I was blown away by the You're not the going city over of the top of it, eh? I, I've thought about this yesterday while I was sitting here. And sometimes you just pick up a thread. You're, you're prone to do this and just get swept up in it all. Have you stopped to think about whether it really was as great as you're saying it is? I have. I had a lot of time to reflect after the weekend, and uh, I thought it was magnificent. You know why? Because I was pleasantly surprised. You know when you something over... Well, I didn't have low expectations, but like when it. something over-delivers on your expectations... You didn't think much about well, when, when you you, what, what was the conversation when you and I were walking around Adelaide? How fast you walked? On the Friday morning, you were desperate. I thought, look, I personally, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I've been with you for three days. I'd had enough of you. The first call I get at about 6.45 on the Friday morning, oh, Wisp, I'm missing you. Can we go for a walk? <laughs> And we walked around Adelaide, and what did we both think about Adelaide? Beautiful. Unbelievable. The place was alive. It was a beautiful morning. Well, then, yeah. We stood there in North Adelaide. We looked across what we, we don't looked, know looked if like it was a paddock. North Adelaide. And we looked, we, we, it was. How do you know? We didn't know. I where looked we it were. up. I looked it up later. Oh, did you? And it was North Adelaide. We looked across that. looked like a paddock. That's it was right. like we were out in the middle of the scrub somewhere. It was like being, the mountains in, East in, the Mel- it was like being in East Melbourne, looking across the road into a paddock. Yeah, spot like on. 100 acres. 100, 100%. And it was beautiful. But we apart from buy, that. Maybe we should buy some land there. The city was happy. I don't know, if you, I don't, happy? I don't know if you can say that. How can you say that? It was that happy. Is, but it felt like a happy city, didn't it? It did. You can say. We, what do you mean you don't know how to say it? You just said it. <laughs> it it's not like that it. hard. I mean, it sounds like a strange. It felt like a happy city. That's what you say. <laughs> it felt like we're in. Well done. You said that. <laughs> That's why you wanted to know how to say, and you said it. And? What? And I got up. Uh, to the Barossa Valley on the Friday, which you didn't, and yeah. uh, I was with George. How was it? Sammy, I said, uh, Saltram's Vineyard. It was magnificent. Had a good chat to the chef there, and he's, um, he's co-chef. He's, is, that a, is he co-chef? Sue. The sous chef. And they had a pizza oven. And, um, Sue, what was the last thing? Uh, Sue, uh, <laughs> I think Johnny Cash. What was that Johnny Cash song? A boy named Sue. Um, he, he was uh, a nice bloke and he had the oven going and they had a good chat about that. They had a nice little kitchen garden there. And you did a lunch. You, we you did a lunch. Nice little a, spot there. A lunch at the Saltrim. How many were there? A uh, big crowd. How big, many? Well, big. I don't know. I didn't count. What? I couldn't count them. 400? Oh, I don't know. How many fit into a place like that? It was huge. 14? Huge. And there were people banked up outside too. Lined up. You know what they did? They put speakers outside so all those that couldn't get in could listen to it. 100-year-old Vegemite. Yes. What do you eat Vegemite? Not a hundred year old Vegemite though. I would say that's past its use by though. Do you use how often would you eat Vegemite? Uh I love Vegemite, but not I I've gone off toast. It's not on my diet anymore because I'm gluten intolerant because I'm a sore gut, so I'm a bit like that too, but you know what I've been into a bit lately? A Vita wheat with a little bit of Vegemite on it. That's very boyish. What do you mean? Well, we did that when we came home from primary school as a kid. And you squeeze it and it comes a little... No, no, no. You didn't have to squeeze back in those days. You, you just put, put two, a bit of butter on it. Put two together mm. and you push it and like little little spurts of butter uh, and veggie might come out yeah, the yeah, holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was... Yeah, no, you're That's right. a Vita Wheat? Yeah, that, you're right. Vita Wheat. Yeah, I was thinking about the Vita Brit. No. Because we used to put that... We used to put butter and Vegemite on a... A, on Vita, a Vita Wheat? On a a Vita, Vita Brit? Yes. Awful. Well... 
How hungry were you when you got home from school? Not that hungry. <laughs> I wouldn't eat that. We used to have that and then a tin of fruit. Tell you what else I wanted to go Two down fruits. the rabbit hole of. A little, I'm not a sweet eater as like I've got a savoury palate, but the mm. one sweet that I will eat, the jelly slice. What's a jelly slice? Do you know what a jelly slice no. is? It's got a, like a biscuit base, ah. then a condensed sort of milk sort of, and then jelly on top. Ah, does Bev make those? Nikki makes it. Nikki? Do you want me to bring one in tomorrow for you? Well, you've been keeping these a secret. All right, I'll bring some jelly slice, and next week we might talk about some of the other great slices, because my mum, Bev, mm. was a great baker. Yeah, my auntie. Baker? Baker? Yeah, baker. Yep. Yeah. My auntie Dulcie was like that. Yeah. All the savoury. Uh, she used to make her own cream, separate the milk. The cream. Oh, Let's talk that next week. And a trifle. Garrity Could got she home make from a school trifle? and Bev didn't have some nice baked treats on the table. <laughs> was there? You talk about a throw the racket situation. <laughs> uh, hope you've enjoyed that. That's been the rabbit hole for tyre power. Selected Toyo tyres by three. Get one free. This has been The Rabbit Hole with Gary Lyon and Tim Watson for Tyre Power, Australia's biggest independent tyre retailer. Keeping you safe on the roads, tyrepower.com.au. Tune in to 1116SEN each Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday from 6 to 9am to hear SEN Breakfast with Gary and Tim.